Well, we're in week three of our series, Fearless, and we're specifically going to talk about this fear of losing control. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And this is our, our overarching uh, scripture for the entire series. Many of you are familiar with this scripture. Uh, many of you could repeat it after me as I read it. But it says simply, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So we know in our heart of hearts that fear is not of God. No aspect of fear. So whatever we feel fear in our heart and our life, it's not of God. But we have in our hearts at times, there's a basic fear that wants to come over us, the fear of losing control. And many of us feel this fear from time to time. It's funny, uh, I, I was getting over a little bit of congestion from the winter months. Uh, you know, the, the kids come home from school and they've picked up every germ and bug and disease they can get as, you know, little kids are picking each other's noses in school or whatever they do that gets each other sick. And they come home and they're just, you know, snotty and whatever. And they last about, you know, 10 hours with them. Well, when a parent gets it, it feels like it lasts two weeks. So I was getting over a little congestion. And just as that happens, the weather changes and the allergies kick up and boom, I'm getting a little more congestion. It's funny. It seems to be how that works from time to time. You know, in life, we don't, yes, yeah. In, in life, we don't deny the things that happen around us or even at times the things that happen to us. But we don't fear the loss of control. We know that God's promises and his provision for our life are greater if we'll just give ourselves over to him. So today we wanna attack directly, we wanna speak directly to this idea to allow the word of God to help us overcome the fear of losing control. You know, throughout the 80s, there were songs, uh, I, think I'm, is it, I think I'm losing control and I like it or something like that, something along those, those lines. I'm, I'm remembering the, the song vaguely. Uh, through the 90s, there was a, a few movies about individuals losing all control and, and they, they kind of go crazy for a moment. And we see the idea of the loss of control highlighted in pop culture in different areas. And some of us even remember that famous Britney Spears moment where she shaved her head and took an umbrella to the side of a car and lost control. And many of us, we fear that moment, right? Is that gonna be me when I finally lose control? And if these kids get on my last nerve, they're gonna see Brittany come out real quickly. You know, we've all been there as parents, that fear, oh, I, I, I love my children, but today I could lock them in a closet. <laughs> you know, it's just the, re the realities of being a parent and things that we fear. And we say in our heart and in our head, but we never would verbalize, you know. Some of us are more honest than others. But at times we... We get set off, we, we hear something, we think something, we see something, and it sets off something in our heart and in our mind. And in fact, this irrational fear comes over us of the what ifs, the what ifs in life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the worst case scenario happens? What will we do? And it's this fear, this idea of losing control. And there are reasons so many of us fear losing control it's because control is something many times that's just an illusion. We never really had control. In fact, for most of us, control is an illusion. We tell ourselves we have control. I have control. I have control over my weight. This year, I'm gonna take control. You're 55 and over. You walk past the Twinkie, you gain 17 pounds. We fear the loss of control as we get older and we look in the mirror and we see the crow's feet settling in and that young, vibrant face that we remember at 19 is not staring back at us anymore. We fear the loss 
of control as relationships that we once held close spin spin and spiral out of control because we never had honest control to begin with. And we live under that illusion that if we do everything just right, if we do everything just the way we're supposed to, then the eventuality, it will come out the way we expect it. That if we do all the right things, if we put all the puzzle pieces together on the board, just the way we are intending to put them together, then in the end of the day, we're gonna get exactly what we're going after. And it seems that life has a funny way of turning our best laid plans on top of themselves. And to quote the great philosopher, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson was one of the world's greatest philosophers. Whether you know it or not, I'm gonna give you a quote of his. And it's one of my favorite quotes in the world. And before Iron Mike was getting ready for all of his championship bouts, he was always confronted with the idea of his battle plan, his game plan. What is he going to do to withstand the blows of his adversary? And inevitably some sportscaster would ask Iron Mike, Mike, what are you going to do? What are you, how are you gonna combat their plan? They've studied your film. They've watched your footwork. They know how you fight. They know your strengths and your weaknesses. What are you going to do to combat them? And Mike Tyson's great words of philosophy were, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's the truth of life. We all have these great laid plans, these controlled centric plans. We've dotted every I, we've crossed every T and then life happens and punches us in the face. And we're like, what gives? What's going on? uh, We lose that sense of control almost instantly as we're hit with the unexpected. As we're hit with the unknown, What are we going to do to pull life back into order? What are we going to do to pull life back into a sense and a semblance of control and a sense of control we never really had anyway? There's a couple ways to know if you're living with an anxious heart. A couple questions you can ask yourself because, because again, many times in our life, control is just an illusion. We have done what we can to live in that facade and that illusion, but there are things in our heart that we can test to see if we're living with an anxious heart, a heart that is fearing the loss of control. The first one is, are you rattled when things don't go as you expected? Are your feathers ruffled when things don't happen just as you expected them to happen? Do you worry about things that are beyond your control? Do you worry about the government? It's far beyond your control. You can vote. You should exercise your right to vote. You, could, you should exercise your civic duty. But in the end, there are so many things tied to our government that are far beyond our everyday control. There are things that are beyond our control in our workspace. Who gets moved into what position and, and who gets moved up the ladder and how they restructure and, restri- and reshift positions in our workspace. And many times we get caught up in things that are beyond our control. They keep us up at night. Do you lose sleep over pressing issues? Do you literally stay up at night wondering with the mind that keeps on going of the issues that are pressing your day to day? Is it hard for you to turn off your mind? Are you one of those people who just thinks and thinks through and thinks and thinks through and you rationalize the plan that you've put in front of you and even though you're getting socked in the face and hit in the mouth, it's sometimes hard to let your plan lay dormant for a while and just come with the blows as they come, to roll with the punches. Some of us get so worried about the events of life that we can't turn off our mind. Does the unknown intimidate you? 
What's around the corner that you can't see? Does it intimidate you? What tomorrow may bring that you're not planned for? Does it intimidate you? Does it bring a sense of fear into your heart? And do you often imagine the worst case scenario? Do you find yourself planning and even plotting for the worst case scenario? Now, I'm a very, very logically minded person. I know Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. There's a little bit of my mind that's grafted in this way that says, listen, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong, so let's plan for it. And at times, that's just the thought of loss of control. At times in my own life, that's just the thought of, well, if all of this goes to hell in a handbasket, we've gotta have a backup plan. Rather than trusting God that what he said is true, that his word is true, that his will has been realized in our life and that we can adopt principles based on the word of God that move us forward and not worry about worst case scenario. So we have to have an action plan to combat this fear. We have to have an action plan to combat this fear of losing control. We have to have an action plan that we can set into place. But this action plan is not about steps. It's not steps one through two. This action plan is, it's really not even about taking more control of your life. This action plan has everything to do with peace that we can literally live in a place where peace is the action, where peace is the action plan. Peace is the next step we take. Peace is the sure footing. Luke chapter 21 and verse 14, you can go ahead and turn there. But the number one way to put peace into action is to take your mind off the what ifs of fear, to learn to take your mind off the what ifs. There's always gonna be what ifs. There's always gonna be goofy what ifs that you can apply to your life. Some of you know the, the, the car I was driving, the lease is up on my truck and I have to turn it in so we have to buy a new car. And we've looked into different car purchases and uh, different cars that we could buy and there's always the what if that comes up. Well, what if this is a good deal? We'll likely buy a used car. Well, we did buy a used car. It's what we think the best value is for our dollar. But there's always what ifs. We haven't owned that car the entire length of the, of the lifespan of the car. So what if we buy a car that's a lemon? What if we buy a car that wasn't well-maintained? What if this, what if that? And the what ifs can run crazy in your head. And you know, car dealers love that because then they're gonna sell you 17 warranties that you're never gonna exercise or use. They're gonna have you double up insurance that you didn't need all to pad that deal to make a little bit more money. And I'm not against people making more money as long as they're selling services and products that someone actually needs but they can, they can draw on that fear of the what if. Well, what if something happens? What if something goes wrong? And we all tend to focus on those fears when we think we're losing control. Luke chapter 21 and verse 14, make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Jesus's words to people just like us, before you set into an endeavor, make up your mind. I'm not gonna worry about this. God said, do it, we're gonna do it and I'm not gonna worry about the outcome. Do you realize that in life as a believer, the outcome's not even really your responsibility? Your responsibility is to be obedient. The results are left up to him. If you were left, if the results were left up to you, all of us would fail in comparison to what God can do in our life. Every one of us would come up short because with his power, something great can happen. If we'll allow him to mature us in faith, there's a moment where his super meets our natural and a miracle happens. But most of us 
are too choked out by the fear of the loss of control that we never allow his super to be ignited in our life. We rely on our natural and we wonder why the miracle presence of God isn't realized. Peace in action. We need to get rid of the what ifs. Now I'm the kind of guy I love some of these drama type um, uh, 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 documentaries or the, uh, what do you call the reality shows. And I love these guys that are the preppers, right? They're prepping for the end of the world. They believe that soon and likely in our lifetime, the end of the world is coming or at least the end of this nation. And man, if that's you, more power to you. I don't necessarily see the world that way. I see that there are some issues, but I don't think the world's gonna end tomorrow. But there are these doomsday preppers. They're digging big old holes in their backyard to create bunkers. They got 45 pounds of beef jerky in their closet. They spent $40,000 on MREs. You know, they've got all of the stockpile of stuff. And the whole purpose behind their stockpiling, they're preparing, digging the hole in the basement. The whole purpose behind that is the what if I lose control? What if life spins out of control? I don't have a job anymore. What if life spins out of control and our money, our paper money is worth nothing? What if life spins out of control and nuclear war happens? Listen, if nuclear war were gonna happen right here, right now in the Quad Cities, there's nothing you could do to get away from it anyway. That's a different subject. But these preppers are a good example of how we can focus on the fear of losing control and let it consume us. It comes to a place where this is where we spend our time and our money. It comes to a place where this is what we're consumed with the next battle plan because the what if is staring us in the face. We need to come to a place where we eliminate the what ifs. These guys bunkered down with three or four years of supplies and I, wanna, I always wanna ask them, what if the eventual apocalypse lasts longer than three years? You're out of luck. What if I find out where you live? You're out of luck, I'm gonna take some stuff. By the way, you posted it on Facebook. I know where your location's at. Worry never changes anything for the good. You can worry and worry and worry your life away. So many people get up every morning and they're worried. What am I gonna do? So many people are worried in their everyday life, in their relationships. There are some folks who live one relationship to the next and they're always wondering, they're always worried, what if that next shoe drops? What if he finds out who I really am? What if she finds out the real me? What if, what if, what if? Some of us don't even get into relationships that God's called us to because of the what if. I remember the first time I asked my wife out, we were in college and I thought this was gonna be a beautiful moment, but there was this what if in the back of my mind, what if she says no, and I really like this girl, but I wanna ask her out. And I asked her out that first time and she laughed at me. My what if came true, but my other what if came true too she eventually became my bride. See, we don't understand all of the steps that God could lead us to. And the first one could be the most damning. It could be the hardest. It could be the, the biggest hill that we have to conquer. But if we will continue on that path where God's called us, the what if might be a momentary setback, but the ultimate what if might be the glory that God's called you to. It might be the placement he's setting you at. It might be the destiny that he's carved out for your life. Worry has never changed anything for the good. Matthew 6 and 27, whom of you by worrying can add a single day, or I'm sorry, a single hour to his life? Which one of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You will add nothing to the total scope of your life by worrying. In fact, we have the science, we have the data. 
Worry will only strip from you your life. Worry will only strip from you the quality of life that you could be living. Worry, real worry will only cause ulcers, heartburn, heartache, and other kinds of physical problems. Worry will literally cause your body to decay. Yet some of us won't give up worry because of the thought of losing control. Because if I worry about it, at least that's something I have control over. If I have a sense of worry about it, at least that's an action step towards control. But the Bible calls us to live in peace. And true peace that comes from God is letting go and letting him be who he is is letting go and letting him have sovereign reign over our life, is letting go and letting him be in ultimate control. Satan's tool, fear, is meant to deter you from God's best. The whole reason Satan institutes a scheme of fear over our life is to deter us from what could be. There are the what if moments. What if she says no when I ask her out, but the other side of the what if could be, what if that one no turns into a million yeses and we end up married and have a wonderful life together. The what if could be, what if they don't hire me in that job you're applying for, but the other what if could be, what if I find a better job with a better pay scale, with exactly the position that God's called me to. We get so caught up and choked up in the what ifs that we worry and worry our life away, that we are separated from God's best because we've allowed the tool of the devil to, car, to, to, to cut us away from where God is calling us to. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse five and six. It's a great portion of scripture to kind of put to memory around the idea of fear and specifically the fear of losing control Second point I wanna make is we need to put our mind on the promises of faith. Now, in order to do that, we have to, we have to guard ourselves. We have to be put in a good mental position to be able to attribute the promises of God to our life. And Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse five and six says, like a scarecrow in a melon patch, do not fear them. They can do no harm. No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Many of us look to the fields of life, the opportunities of life, and we see posted the warning signs and the scarecrows and they deviate our path. They force us off of our path, our God-given calling. And in Jeremiah, we see the writers saying, no, 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 no. Those scarecrows are just facades. They're not real people. There's no substance to them. They can't do anything to you. Go after what God's called you to. Run through that melon patch and grab the harvest that God has called you to. You don't have to be afraid of some stick figure out on the side of a hill. Why is that? Because there's no one like our God. Because his name is great and it's mighty in power. And we have a God whose name is so great, who's so mighty in power that his enemies and all of the adversaries that would come against our life are nothing more than scarecrows, inanimate objects that can do nothing to deviate us if we would just run down God's path, if we would just take the ground that he's called us to take, if we would quit worrying about the what ifs. Some of you, God has birthed in your heart a vision for a business and you haven't stepped out because of a what if. Some of you, God has birthed in your heart a vision for a family and you haven't stepped out because of the what if. Some of you, God has birthed 
in your heart, a ministry that God wants to see touch lives and touch people and you're afraid of the what if. We have to come to a place where we learn to put the what ifs aside, understand the tool of the devil that is fear, that we can override that fear of losing control. Because the fact is you never really had the control you think you had. George Mueller said it best when he talked about anxiety and fear. He said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. We live in this teeter-totter moment we live in this constant balancing act. Are we being driven towards anxiety where faith is being diminished or are we being moved towards true faith where anxiety is being crushed? We live constantly in this teeter-totter moment. Where on the scale do you find yourself when God calls you, when God puts his fingerprint on you, when God moves you in a new direction, when God shifts your life, when, uh, when God carves a new path? Are you stuck on the teeter-totter, afraid to make a decision and slowly sliding towards the fear and anxiety side? Or are you on the faith side, strong and understanding where God's called you, strong and knowing your purpose and your vision and your value, strong and knowing that he loves you and he would never call you to anything that would hurt you? We need to learn, as the Bible says, to give our cares to God. Scripture tells us to cast our cares on him that we're to throw them on him, that we're to place them on his shoulders. Why? Because faith brings peace and worry brings turmoil. Faith draws us close to God and worry takes us from God. Faith changes things and worry changes nothing. True faith brings us to a stance of peace. That if we have a true faith in God and understanding that he is sovereign and under his control, that we can be used of God for kingdom purposes and that everything that he does in our life will be for our benefit and for our good, we can stand in a place of peace. But the moment we're in anxiety, we start to wonder if we ever had real control. We start to wonder if we can take back a sense of control and we slip into an anxious state of being. Our prayer should simply be every morning, Whatever you would have me do, do, sir, I am yours to command. Whatever God you would have me do, I am yours to command. That is a station of peace. Faith draws us closer to God while worry takes us away from him. That if we have a true sense of faith in our life, we will start to be closer and more connected to the voice of God. When faith is being poured out in our heart, we start to hear those whispers of the Holy Spirit. We start to hear the leading of the voice of God. But as faith diminishes, we get farther and farther away and we can't hear his voice quite as clearly. It's an easy way to, to find a metric of where you fall on this line. And faith changes things where worry changes nothing. If you're in a constant state of worry, it's kind of like being in a rut. And a rut, honestly, is just a grave with the ends kicked out. It's a place where we are dead and buried. It's six feet under, and there's no life there. But true faith changes things. The atmosphere changes. Your, your station in life starts to change. The outcome starts to change. You start to change. True faith brings us to a place where things start to change. Give your cares to God, but more importantly, don't ever take them back. Once you lay them on him, don't fish for them in return. Once you lay them on him, it's our job to bring back peace and joy, grace and mercy into our life.
Once we've hung our cares on his shoulders, they are not ours to take up again. The scripture says that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. That when he puts the guideposts on our life, he's not doing it to weigh us down. He is doing it to lead us on life's path that he has carved out for us. He never puts anything ill-fitting on our backs. Philippians chapter four and verse six and seven. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But we're gonna get to some reflection points here in a moment. And I want you to honestly reflect on how much control you're trying to exercise based on fear. How much control are you trying to exercise in your everyday life just based on fear? It's an easy place to get to. Financially, it's an easy place to get to. I've gotta control every single dime, every single cent. Some of us do that by saving and some of us do that by spending wildly. But either way, it's a sense of control. I'm going to dictate where the money goes. Rather than looking to God first and saying, everything I have is at your disposal. What do you want me to do with this, Jesus? And trusting him for the answer, but also trusting him for the outcome. Philippians chapter four and verse six and seven. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, give thanks. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a want list. When he says present your petitions, it's not a Santa Claus list. It's not like, God, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. This is a place for us to shed our skin, to be honest in front of him, to show him the true self and who we are, to stand in his presence bare and unencumbered and say, God, this is me. This is all of me. When he says present your position or your petitions, Sure, there are things that we want out of life, but those wants only come because we are being remade. Those wants and desires only honestly come into our life because we are honest to God about who we are. He already knows the real you anyway. The Bible says in Psalms and later on in the New Testament, what is man that you're mindful of him? That you've crowned him with glory and honor or dignity and worth. That you set him to work over the rules or you set him to rule over the work of your hands and you've crowned him a little lower than yourself that we are crowned with glory and honor or dignity and worth, that we have a sense of value, that when we place ourselves in front of the creator, when we place ourselves in front of him, that our petitions, our whole self is made known, the total wants and desires of our life, the totality of who we are is exposed and laid bare before him. When we set ourselves in that position, there's a total loss of control in that moment. People fear that moment for two reasons. One, will God actually do what he says he's going to do? Will he be the God that he promised me he would be? The Bible says that we need to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That as we come to him, he is honest to his word. That's station one. The next issue that we run into is, am I worth it? Once we believe that he is, that he is God and that he does do what he says he will do because we've seen it in the lives of others or we've read about it in scripture or we've experienced it in our own life to some degree or another. Once we believe he is God and that he does what he says he will do, the next question is, am I worth it? This is what Philippians is getting to the heart of. Am I worth it? It says it in different words. It says that you're gonna do it through prayers, petition and thanksgiving. 
that we open up our heart in prayer in a consecrated conversation before God. This is who I am. This is the total of who I am. God, I'm opening myself bare unto you. That we're gonna petition him, God, be the God that you've called, or be the God that you said you would be. God, be the God of the scriptures in my life. Be the God of the miraculous. Be the God of the, uh, of the unbelievable and the impossible. Be the God that I've seen you work out in so many others' lives. And then he says to go on with thanksgiving, that we thank him for what he's doing in our life, that we believe we're worth it. Thanksgiving is all about worth-ship. In fact, that's a different word for thanksgiving, worth-ship or worship. That we believe that we are worth it because he is worth it. That we believe the king of the universe is worth it. He is worthy of praise and he sacrificed himself on the cross so that he could pave the way for our redemption. And he died not for the total of man, but for the singular individual, the you sitting in your chair, not just your neighbor and not just somebody else who thinks better than you are, but he died for you. And that worthship of the cross bleeds down to you. You are worth it. Many of us struggle in that sense. God, are you the God who will come through? Are you the God who will be true to your word? And God, am I worth it? We can't at times let go of this sense of control because we wonder if we're worth it. If we can hold the pieces of life together for ourselves, we can create a sense of value on our own shoulders and our own merit. And it is so sinking and so small. It is so fragile. The moment things don't go exactly the way we planned, as we discussed before, that ship starts to sink. But when our worth and value is placed in Christ Jesus and him alone, nothing can detour that vessel. As we learn to reflect on this idea of the loss of control, we have to ask ourselves, what area do you desire to control? It says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about your insecurities. If you're, if, you're, if you're intent on controlling every relationship, friendships, intimate relationships, you're intent on being the one in control, that says a lot about your value of self in relationships. If you're intent on controlling money, and man, you have to just account for every dime or you spend wildly one end of the spectrum, but you're intent on you being the one who makes the decisions, you being the one who controls the finances, that says a lot about your value in the scope of money. First, we need to identify what area do we desire to control? Second, what are the promises of God that speak to your concerns? What is the scripture you can draw from that speaks to the concern in your life? If you're having an issue with healing, and man, you're, you're, you're just sucking down medication and going to every doctor you can find to exercise a sense of control over your life because you don't value yourself as healed in the Lord, then you need to find the scriptures that combat that ailment, not the specific bug that you might've contracted, but the ailment that is your mind diminishing yourself, that you don't view yourself as strong, as vibrant, as healthy because of what God did on the cross. There are scriptures that point to the fact that we are healed. That by his stripes, I am healed in Isaiah. We are healed. That we can speak to that we are the healed of God. That we can look to the miracles of Jesus and the signs that he performed here while on earth. 
or we can look to the signs and wonders and miracles that happen in everyday life and understand that he wants the best for us, that he wants our bodies to be whole so we can combat that with scripture. And the third thing is, what do you need to put in your trust God box? Let me explain this. If I said today, I want you to take the deficits in your life, those areas where you fear the loss of control, we're gonna work on them for a year, but we're gonna do it differently than you've ever learned how to do it. We're gonna write those on a box, those deficit areas. We're gonna pile them together, throw them in a box and hide it in your closet. We're not gonna touch the box for a year. We're gonna compartmentalize it, give it to God. What are those areas? What are those areas where you need to trust God? What are those areas that plague you and keep you up at night? What are those areas, not not that you're intentionally trying to fix, but those areas that you just seem to be worrisome over all the time. You just can't get past the worried thought of these particular challenges. Where are they at? And let's put them in that trust box. Let's give them to God, compartmentalize them, push them out of our life. Not to dismiss them as if they don't exist, but to allow God to work in our life to an extent that he can break through the barrier, that he can take control and start to refashion and remake and remodel those deficits in our our life. We need to first learn to identify the desires that we need to control. It speaks to the heart of who we are. Then we need to apply scripture to those areas so that we figure out and we find out how we can apply God's standard to them. Not our own, not our own sense of control, but his standard. And then eventually we need to get to the place where we package those up and give them to him. Where we trust him. We trust him in everything that we do, that we trust him, that he will see us through, that we trust him, that he will help us convert this deficit into a positive in your life if you are reflecting on these questions. I'm sure for many of us, it's a hard thing. God, do do I really wanna take the challenge? Do I really wanna jump into this process? God, it's hard to face my fears and to think about losing control. But if we would understand, we never really had control to begin with. You don't really have control over your life when you walk out that door. In fact, the Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man. That there's an appointed a day for him to come and a day for him to pass. That we don't get to control some things in life as much as we might try to force them into our box and force them into our hand, force them into our plan, just like Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. When life happens, it throws us this curveball that proves to us the control is really out of our grasp. What do we do when we learn that we are losing control? Do we sink into despair? Do we sink into worry? Do we wonder about the what ifs? Or do we learn to gain a new perspective? Do we learn to gain a new station in faith? Do we learn to trust God for the promises that he's assigned to our life? I wanna encourage you today, take that assessment. Take that assessment over your heart and your life. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's something we need to do over and over and over again to refresh our heart and our mind. But as we learn to give God control, we will break this cycle. And in breaking this cycle, we will be freer than we've ever been in our life.